everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Talk Geek to Me. Today I have for you a review of my experiences with Debian GNU K3BSD, and a featured Latin American free software news item from news.northxsouth.com. So without further ado, let's get on with it. What is Debian GNU K3BSD? Debian GNU K3BSD, one of those typical hyphen-filled names where each component means something. In this case, what I'm reviewing is Debian GNU, which is the Debian distribution of the GNU operating system, but one which runs the FreeBSD kernel. What people who are not involved with the Debian distribution may not know is that Debian comes in many ports. Most of these ports revolve around an architecture or a computer type. Some of you may have heard of Alpha, Spark, PowerPC. These are some types of computers which Debian will run under. Debian even has one for S390, the System 390 IBM mainframe. Less exotic, IE386 or AMD64 for the standard 32-bit IBM PC-style computers, Intel Pentiums and Post-Pentium, and the AMD 64-bit architecture, respectively. What the K3BSD community within Debian want to be is an official port, but yet they are still pro- proving themselves. They want to be the port that makes Debian run with a free BSD kernel. Now, you may want to know what the significance of a choice in kernels is, and what meaning it has. It turns out that there is a give and take between different kernels. At a certain point in time, one kernel or another will surpass the other kernels at something. For a while, the BSD kernels were more stable, less crash-prone than Linux. Currently, FreeBSD has better SMP support than Linux. I believe right now Linux has more desktop hardware support than BSD. For a long time, BSD could handle Apache web servers with large numbers of threads better than Linux could, but this is all dependent upon where you are in time. Maybe SMP on the BSD is better today. Tomorrow, Linux may be on top. Let's not forget that most of us are running an operating system called GNU with a Linux kernel. I don't need to rehash this one here for my regular audience. You heard the old saw before. What I do think you need to know, for the sake of this review, is that GNU has a kernel of its own called Herd. They never got it off the ground into mainstream use. It's like if we likened our operating systems to a car. It would be as if the car came without the engine. Most of us choose the Linux kernel as our engine. It's like the car manufacturer can't quite get the engine down. But everything else is great. I remember fondly that my first hack of public radio was about choices and customization being the real Linux selling point. I invite you to take a moment to think about the possibility that could come about. Someday, you may be able to choose your distro and your preferred kernel as separate and seamless choices. There are other ways to look at this, too. Because of the fact that as people in what is sometimes called the Nix world, we have the greatest amount of software available to us to run. While there are few, very few apps from my Windows past that I still run, okay, one game, actually, I still run it under a virtual machine. I was for a while running it under Wine. We can run most Windows software given a little geeky effort using one of these techniques. 
Truth be known, there is always a preference for running something built natively for your current OS. FreeBSD is like this too. It has its virtual machines. Mainly, it is good old Unix portability that allows nearly the same code to compile under different systems. But BSD goes even further, as it has a Linux compatibility layer. We are no longer talking about emulating a virtual machine. We are talking about a mapping between BSD system calls and Linux system calls. This allows BSD users to run binaries, which means already compiled programs, from the world of Linux. Of course, BSD is no stranger to this. They had an SCO Unix compatibility layer for quite a while, and perhaps they still do. And the world of AMD64 Linux has its own compatibility layer also. Debian GNU Linux for AMD64 comes with a package called IA32LUBS Standard. This allows you to copy a binary for 32-bit Linux and give it libraries it needs so you can run on otherwise 64-bit OS. I ran the web page authoring package Composer with a K in the name, but it's not part of the KDE project this way for quite a while. As an aside, I recently went back to running my system as a 32-bit system, both for Composer, but there is also a kernel module for the QEMU virtual machine package that allows near-native performance for virtual machines. For my personal situation, it meant more to have QEMU machines running just as fast as everything else than to run my system as a 64-bit system. This merry-go-round of software does not end here. There are emulators on Nix for old game systems galore, as well as DOS emulators. I've even heard there is a PDP emulation. I've heard that some industrial systems were controlled by PDPs, but are now controlled by a PDP emulation under Linux. And lastly, sometimes file format support for proprietary software lasts longer in the world of Nix. My understanding is that OpenOffice can read old versions of doc files that Microsoft themselves no longer support. Why, then, would you want to run one system over the other? Let's get the quick one out of the way. It's always good to know what is out there. Kind of like having a plan to do something else. Just in case, Linux itself takes a wrong turn someplace. But another reason is that you may want to keep something you're used to while you check out something else. Let me give you my personal favorite, which is the apps packaging system. Sure, FreeBSD has their own package for almost everything you could want, as well as a compatibility layer for stuff that may be Linux only. But I have my favorites, like everybody else. I love the apps package manager. I even hear there is apt for Red Hat Fedora CentOS. The idea of keeping apt and maybe seeing if I like a real Unix was something I found compelling. So... I took the plunge. I got the ISO and tried to load it into its own partition. Here's what it was like. As can be expected, there was some frustration with getting used to the FreeBSD installer after getting used to the Debian installer. This was nothing I didn't expect. When I got the new partition up, I was dropped into a straight 80 by 25 column terminal. The login was root with no password. Okay, so you have to make the first user account on your own. I followed the instructions to point apt at the Debian GNU K3BSD mirror and then did the update routine. All these packages became available, so I went to install the X server, the web browser conqueror. After an hour of fiddling, well, this is where I had problems. Apt reported that there were dependencies missing for IceWM and Conqueror. These are two of my favorites. However, BSD boots very fast, which I really liked, so I kept trying. After an hour of fiddling, I got X going. X could not auto-detect my video, 
and it could not run the NV driver for NVIDIA cards. I managed eventually to get it to run in VGA mode. With some trial and error, I got Fluxbox to run, but I could not run KDM, my usual display manager. I thought maybe it was just my video. So I tried the live CD for Debian GNU K3BSD. Ging. But that did not recognize my video. I still did not want to give up, so I tried Ging under QEMU. I figured that since QEMU simulated older well-known hardware, that it ought to work. Well, Ging just hung under QEMU. Lastly, I downloaded an image from oszoo.org and went to run that under QEMU. That too hung. Well, my conclusion is this. I do like the faster boot time. I like that a lot. I also do not yet abandon any plans to try out BSD down the road. But alas, at this point, Debian GNU K3BSD is not where I need it to be. In theory, I guess I could get it going, because I got Fluxbox going under it, but I have to assume that most users are actually using GNOME components, which I don't prefer. I would have to try GDM for the Display Manager, then adopt a new web browser, a new CD burner from GNOME, etc. That is giving up a lot of my favorites, which I am not willing to do. I do believe that if this project picked up speed, it would be truly amazing for our community, but this point is just not ready for prime time. Latin American Free Software News Featured Story How the U.S. Blockade Against Cuba Affects Information Technology As mentioned before on this news site, the embargo laws in the United States have a direct impact on information technology development in the affected countries. Now, a blog from Cuba has reported that Google Wave is blocked for Cuban Internet users. The article, in Spanish only, goes even deeper and itemizes other examples of how the USA embargo affects the IT development in Cuba. Here is a translation of some of the cases. An English travel agent, Steve Marshall, lives in Spain and sells travel packages to tropical destinations, including Cuba. In October 2007, about 80 of their websites surprisingly stopped working as a result of an action taken by the U.S. government. The Treasury Department stated that Enum Company had not acted in accordance with the law, as the agency helped Americans evade restrictions on traveling to Cuba and was, quote, generating resources used by the Cuban regime, unquote. Among the domain names that were shut down include www.cuba-hemingway.com, which is a site about literature, www.cuba-havanacity.com on Cuban history and culture, and other support services for tourists from Italy and France, such as www.chowcuba.com and www.bonjourcuba.com. The Institute of Scientific and Technological Information, IDICT, was affected significantly when it was denied access to the database Premier Academy with ebooks from Taylor & Francis Publishing. It was launched in 96 as a central database for researchers in the fields of science, technology, and medicine. In 2008, access to new versions of the database engine free software used all around the world, MySQL, remained limited, as also happens with Java, after they were purchased by the U.S. corporation Sun Microsystems. Carlos Martinez, the author of the article, also lists some other websites that express their blockade against Cuba and other countries between them. The most famous ones include Cisco Systems, Oracle Technology Network, Telefonica Spain, and the Total Bank, an online banking and payment services, banking and business credit cards company. 
The good side of it, according to Carlos, is that the Cuban users will have to look for alternatives to Microsoft Messenger and Google Wave tools in the free software communities. But by doing so, the users will gain more security, privacy, and software freedom, he says. Technically, although Cuba is living these prohibitions as a disadvantage compared with other Internet users, this blockade will force the Cubans to use messaging services Liberis, which is known by Jabber in the English-speaking world, giving them more security and privacy. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of Talk Geek to Me. Today's, uh, oh, there's no mailbag today because no one wrote me. Boo-hoo-hoo. Oh, well, maybe this episode will be a little bit better. Maybe I'll get some feedback. I hope so. Anyway, the website, talkgeektome.us, my personal website, deepgeek.us, my email, dg at deepgeek.us. At my at talkgeektome.us, you can find a variety of RSS feeds, the scripts for the shows, choose your download format. Also maintain a small mailing list of people who want to receive notification of new audio by email. Uh, email me at dg at deepgeek.us if you want on that. Today's closing music, Mike Burgess, Audio Love Song. Uh, this one I got from podsafeaudio.com, and it's kind of cool. It's like a, a, a rhythm thing that goes on. There's no real lyric line, but there is some vocal sound effects that I found very interesting. I think you'll like it. And I'll see you in a few weeks. Thank you for listening.
real love. Real love. Thank you for listening to Hack Republic Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.